Hi, this is Pastor James Strickland, and you are listening to our sermon cast for Homeland Park Baptist Church. Well, good morning. We continue our series at the look of the book of Ephesians as we look about the series being church with a question mark. And the reason that question mark is there is because we are dealing with not only the church as a whole, but what our part is in that. Because for many of us, we just kind of have grown up going to church, right? Going to church is what you do. But church, when we use that term, it's not just this building or what goes on in this campus. The church is the church of Jesus Christ. And that is what we are talking about today. So this morning we are talking about taking your place in God's church. It will be in Ephesians chapter 4. We'll be looking at the first 16 verses this morning. May we pray. God, I thank you for what we have already heard and worshipped with, with our music. I thank you for our children being able to go out and have special instruction, Lord, geared just for them. And Lord, as we continue in our worship, Lord, may you be glorified through everything that is said, through the reading and the preaching of your word, for it is in your mighty name that we pray. Amen. Amen. God designed the church to be one cohesive entity. And this co- this church, its purpose is to carry out his plan. What plan is that? The plan of redemption. We talked in the previous chapters about how God, through Jesus Christ, brought both Jews and Gentiles to the ability to gain salvation. And his will is for the church to be unified in one purpose. And that one purpose is not deciding on what the color of the carpet is or what songs we're going to sing. That one purpose is bringing glory to the name of Jesus Christ. And as with any organization or team, everyone must be in one purpose or plan. I don't know about y'all, but I am praising the Lord that we are finally able to watch some football games on TV. You got any football fans? A few. How many of y'all could care less? All right, a few of you. Well, your preacher's happy. See a little pigskin getting thrown around? That's exciting. And the thing is, is that when these players, these huge players, get up and they get to the line and they start to execute this play, if there is even just one player that misses their assignment, misses their command, misses their route, then it throws the whole team off. And the truth of the matter is, is that they are all synchronized on that one plan for that one play. And us as the church should be synchronized as well. But Satan continues to hinder the church through the selfish drive of every human being. You see, today, people inside and outside of the church, they want to be known not for what brings them together, but for what makes them different. Unity is a foreign word in churches today and in our world. But the thing is that we want to be known for what makes us different, not how we are alike. And everybody wants, if I am different, everyone has to agree with the way I think. That is what our world has come to. They have taken the true measure of what is right and wrong, and they have decided to chunk this. It is no longer about the Scriptures. It is about many other things. But this morning, Paul reminds you and I, as the church of Jesus, he died and rose to establish 
the church. And we have one purpose, and we are His one body. That's just like, I, I am sure that when we get to Christmas, there will be a lot of people that will celebrate the birth of baby Jesus. When we get to Easter, everybody will celebrate not only the crucifixion, but the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But do we really celebrate the fact that God has established the church to carry out what happened on the cross? To further advance what happened through the resurrection? You, my friend, as a believer in Jesus Christ, are part of the plan for God's redemption. And so as we read his opening remarks in chapter 4, we see him transition his letter from the concern over different doctrines now to this is more of a book of, of practical applications. And the first thing that we see is doctrine versus application. Doctrine versus application. What I mean by that, correct doctrine would be you know what people think about eternal security, what people think about Calvinism, Arminianism, uh, you know, all of these different things that, that people spend generations debating, and these things have split churches in two. And so what we find is, is that correct doctrine without application leads to an intellectual and ineffective religiosity. Boy, that's a mouthful, isn't it? What? Let me just give you, let me tell it to you in, in plain English like the way I see it. The way I see it is that Doctrine without application is a bunch of guys and gals sitting in your favorite coffee shop talking about how their way is right and everybody else is wrong about what the Bible says. And meanwhile, people that are saved, lost, and going to hell are coming in and out there every day and getting coffees and leaving. There are people walking into the restaurant that are without hope. There are people walking into that restaurant hearing Christians argue over doctrine and seeing no application. They are religious. They they go through the motions but there is no feeling there. So that's the danger if we, if we spend all of our time worried about doctrine and not application. However, if application without doctrine leads to false teaching and poor testimony. My friends, if me or this church or anybody is preaching something other than God's Word and they're preaching a doctrine and not the full whole book of Scripture, then you better run. Because it's not about my thoughts about who's the best politician or, or what the next subculture is going to be. It is about what God's Word teaches. And God's Word addresses everything. And so the first item Paul addresses is the need for our Christians to get on the same page. And again, remember, this is called Ephesians, the book, because he wrote it to the Christians in the church of Ephesus. He's writing to people just like you and me. And the first thing we see is that if you want to take your place in God's church, the first thing you must do is don't think too much of yourself. That's pretty brazen to say, isn't it? But it's the truth. Don't think too much of yourself. Just a side note before I get into this, I'm not saying that Christians should have poor self-esteem. I remember many years ago when I was starting out in youth ministry, in the in student ministry and in the education system, everything was about building a child's self-esteem. Y'all remember that? Now, we have raised a generation of adults that are selfish because all we did is try to placate to their self-esteem. The truth of the matter is, is that Christians, we need to have a healthy view of ourselves, but at the same time, 
we don't need to have an overinflated view of ourselves. We shouldn't think, oh boy, God is so proud of me today. Boy, I tell you what, I'm going to church today and they are going to be blessed by having my presence in front of them and behind them. The truth of the matter is, Ephesians chapter 4 verse 1 says, this is Paul, Therefore, I, a prisoner for the Lord, beg, the King James Version says, beseech. If you want to know what beseech means, it means to beg. He says, I beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. My friend, if you are sitting in a pew today, God has called you here for a purpose. And it is your job to figure out what that is. It is my job to preach the whole of the scripture to try to help you find out what that is. Paul's overarching theme here is live a life that honors God. Is that pretty self-explanatory? Don't think too much of yourself, but live a life that honors God. I'll tell you, a great passage on that is Philippians 2, verses uh, 3 through 5. It lays that out. But therefore, Paul is saying, in light of everything I've shared, that tells you why the church should be unified. Let me give you some examples of how that may be. When he's, It says he begs. That word beg or Beseech, it means to come along beside me and to join me, to let me encourage you, and and may this bring you comfort in troubled times. Then he says, to live a life that is worthy of a calling. I will never forget the first time in junior high when I got my first football jersey. Woo! I was official. I could wear it to school on game day. Do they still do that, y'all, in your high schools? The athletes wear the jerseys on game days, and I guess the basketball team still wears ties. Is that true? Do they do that? Really? Oh, so old. Oh, edit that out. Basketball players no longer wear ties. What's wrong with that? Well, anyway, it was a highlight for me because I could wear my jersey on game day and walk down the hall, big, big chest out, just you know, feel like I was really part of a team. Also, I have on a few of my vehicles, I have a license plate on the front of the vehicle that says Broadway Fire Department. And I'm grateful to be a part of that team. However, I know this. If I stepped out of line as a football player, they would call me on it. And if I go out there in my vehicle with that license plate on front of my stick, on front of my car and I'm acting stupid, I know somebody's going to hear about it, which eventually means I'm going to hear about it. There's an accountability there because of that which what we did identify with, our conduct affects that. So being a part of an organization is not a right and it's not a privilege. So to be in good standing with those organizations, I have to make sure that I'm in a right standing with them. To be the same is true to be as a Christian. Do you know that it is a privilege to call yourself a child of God? Do you know it's a privilege for you to be in here today and for the Holy Spirit to be speaking to your heart? God has chosen you and me, my friends, to represent Him to the world. We are jersey wearing, license plate bearing ambassadors for Him. 2 Corinthians 5.20, I'll put it on the screen for you. It says, so we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. Let me put it point blank, friends. Sometimes you're going to be the only Jesus that people see. So my question is, what are they seeing? 
Ephesians chapter 4, verses 2 and 3 says, Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowances for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourself united in the Spirit, building yourselves together with peace. What does a life worthy of your calling look like? Well, he says in here, the first thing is to be humble. Here's the funny thing about humility. Once you realize you have humility, once you realize you're humble, you've lost it. Think about that for a minute. Once you realize you've got humility, you've lost it. There were two captains in 1986. On September 7th, the New York Times reported that two Soviet ships which was an ocean liner and a freighter carrying about 1,200 people on board, the freighter carrying cargo of oats. They were supposed to pass in the night when they were sailing on the Black Sea off the coast of Russia. The pilot of the ocean liner called the Admiral Nakimov, said to the crew of the freighter, that they gave them a warning that the freighter and them were going to collide if they didn't change course. The captain of the freighter said, don't worry, we will pass clear of each other. We will take care of everything. Then the captain said, I saw the freighter about to ram into our side. And the pilot said, the engines were put into, the re- the engines were put into reverse, but it was too late. Folks, within 15 minutes, so this is 1986, you can Google it, it actually happened. Within 15 minutes, the 17-ton, 525-foot ocean liner sank to the bottom of the Black Sea like a rock. Within 15 minutes. Matter of fact, it sank so fast, they didn't have time to deploy the lifeboats. It appeared... Many of them, many lives were lost. 116 bodies were recovered and 282 passengers were listed as missing. The authorities also said that both vessels' captains, they knew for 45 minutes that they were on a collision course, but they ignored the warnings because neither one of them wanted to change course. They were too proud in their ability to navigate, to to move, and so they ran in to one another. Some think they cannot be humbled or they can show. Some people believe if you're humble, that shows that you are weak. My friend, you show me a humble man, I will show you a strong man. You show me a humble woman, I will show you a strong woman. Someone that could act out and someone that could do something that was very dumb, but they choose not to because they have the humility and the common sense not to do that. My friend, just because you think something, that doesn't mean you always should say it. I'm seriously. And don't be that person that says, well, I'll just tell people what I think about them. You see me? I'm an open book. Well, it's funny that book never flies the other way to you to see things about yourself. Folks, be humble as a Christian. Be humble. Don't act like a fool and have a Christian bumper sticker on your car or be wearing a Christian T-shirt or have Christian Bible verses all over your Facebook wall. Some think they cannot be humble or it shows weakness. But to me, Jesus demonstrated he was the greatest example of weakness. If you want to look in your Bible, so Philippians chapter 2, 
verses 5 through 7, it says, this is talking about Jesus. You must have the same attitude as Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privilege. And check this out. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being when he appeared human in form. Folks, you can be humble because Jesus was humble. Jesus had the very power of heaven, and he put that to the side for you and your sins. Also, it says we must be gentle. Be a person that does not stir up anger and is gracious toward others in speech and action. Do not be that person, and I know of people, I know of people, nobody in here, of course, but there are some people, and you know them, they are, they are only happy if there's drama. You know what I mean? If there's not a problem, they're not needed. I remember years ago as a youth pastor, kids come to me, I don't know why my life is so filled with drama. I would say, get off Facebook and a lot of it will go away. Most of the time, the people that complain about all the drama are the very ones that are stirring it. My friends, don't be a drama king and queen and be a child of God. Be humble. Be gentle and seek peace. That's what the Scripture says. No no believer, it is not a good idea to give someone a piece of your mind if you are in a state of seeking, if you're not in a state of seeking peace. Again, my rule for posting on Facebook when I do, I've, I've dropped a lot in these recent days because I just figured out my policy is don't post when you're mad or you see something that upsets you. So that's why I'm not posting a whole lot because I'll see a lot of dumb stuff on there. That'll just get my trigger real quick. Proverbs 15.1 says, A gentle answer deflects anger, but harsh words makes tempers flare. I wish our news networks would understand that. I want you to understand, too, when it says seeking unity, as a church we need to seek unity. Unity is not uniformity. That's a big, big thing, right? Unity is not uniformity. Uniformity means everybody needs to look alike. Everybody needs to talk the same. Everybody needs to ascribe to, to, I mean, we have to be carbon copies of one another. My friends, that is not the church. The church is a diverse group of people from different backgrounds, from different races, different religions, different creeds that come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and turn their backs on all of that stuff and they make serving Jesus their main thing. But unity, it must be built on biblical truth. Nowadays, uh, unity is not built on biblical truth. Unity is built around whatever social construct is out there. Do y'all know what a social construct is? I, I'm learning about this stuff. I, I don't have it all figured out yet, but I'm learning. A social construct is basically, you ever heard the term, somebody will tell you they want you to do something, and they say, well, you know, they say that you ought to do this. Who's they? I don't know. But everybody's saying you ought to do it. You know, I saw on Facebook, I got a Facebook group, and we all believe this one way, and I think everybody else should do it. You know, I listen to so-and-so news channel, and everybody's wrong except this news channel. You know, I've got all these ideas of what we need to do, and, and this is what we should do. And so, let's just do that. 
Folks, people have redefined, they have taken God's word and they have set it aside so that they can make their, whatever their gender preferences are, whatever their sexual preferences are, whatever their doctrinal preferences are. And they say, look, we, we don't, we don't want to be together. We got our own thing. This is what makes us special. And you ought to believe that and you ought to agree to it because if you don't, you are intolerant, says the people that are intolerant of scripture. Ironic, isn't it? Contrary to what you may think. You know, I've looked all through this Bible. And I encourage you all to look in your Bible. Please tell me. Look in the table of contents and see if there is anything that says the book of opinions. Anybody? Anybody got a book of opinions in the Bible? Anybody got a book of what CNN says? Is there a Fox News about the book of the Bible in here? Come on, there's got to be. There's got to be something here. Is there a Facebook book in here? No, there's not. None of that stuff. But yet, people use those as their sources for news and their sources for morality. Oh my gosh. If a basketball says, basketball player says it's true, it must be true for everybody. If a celebrity is against that, I should be against that. How crazy is that? This world has no appetite or respect for biblical truth. Matter of fact, biblical truth, now the world chokes on it. Paul was speaking prophecy for today when he told his apprentice Timothy this in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3. Just, just listen, just listen to it. For a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires And we'll look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. How many thousands of years ago was that written? And it's like it is a newspaper article today. I beg with you, just like you would not think about going on a long trip without a map, please do not go through life without seeking truth from God's Word. We see in verses 5 and 6 that there are some non-negotiables. There, these are things that, in, in, in Christianity, there are some things that denominations differ on, but there are some basics that make us a Christian denomination. And these are those things. Number one, there is one body. There is a fellowship of believers. We, as the body of Christ, are a church. We believe in the church. Number two, one spirit. We are all bonded together through the Holy Spirit. There is not many spirits. There is one Holy Spirit. And our faith, our faith, we are bonded by our faith, and we are bonded by one baptism. Why is baptism such a big deal? Many people choke on baptism. I talk with people sometimes that they may have been grown up, they grow up in a different denomination or maybe even a different whole belief system that is probably not very correct. But they think that, you know, baptism, there's some people think you could be sprinkled. Some people think you could be dunked. Some people think that you can do it in a river. Some people think you do it in a pool. Some people think you can do it in a cow trough. All these different, all these different ideas of what baptism is. But what baptism is, what baptism does, is that it signifies conversion and entrance into the church through immersion. When we are grateful, grateful and blessed enough to have somebody go through these baptismal waters, that baptismal water, that baptismal up there preaches that this person has accepted Jesus Christ and now they are part of the church. That is why membership into any Southern Baptist church revolves around two things. 
If you say you want to become a member of this church, it means, number one, you believe in Jesus Christ as he saved your sins and he's the only means to salvation. And the second thing is you are baptized. Baptism doesn't save you, but everyone in this church believes that the conversion of baptism and being baptized by immersion is that's the ordinance that Jesus asks of us, and we do that for him. So if you are a member of any Southern Baptist church, most most Southern Baptist churches, if they are Southern Baptists, will require baptism. I'll tell you what, I was baptized twice. The first time I got wet. The second time I knew what I was doing. Also, we see in verses 7 through 13 that we need to use the gifts God gave you. It says in verse 7, However, he has given each one of us special gift through the generosity of Christ. This is why the scriptures say, When he ascended to the heights, he led a crown of captives and gave gifts to his people. Notice that it says he ascended. This clearly means that Christ also descended to our lowly world. And the same one who descended is the one who ascended higher than all the heavens so that he might fill the entire universe with himself. Boy, what does all that mean? What that means is this means Jesus is Lord over your past, over your present, and over your future. This means that nothing you have done or ever will do will be hidden from him. And it means that no one, not even yourself, are beyond his reach. That's what that means. And then it says in verse 11, some of y'all just don't want to hear this part, but you're going to hear it anyway. You are gifted. Some of you might say, well, I know I'm gifted. Or my baby, my baby's gifted. I got the smartest child around. But you are gifted, every one of you. It says in verse 11, now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church. You, my friend, is a Christian or the church. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip people to do his work and build up the church and the body of Christ. I'm going to go ahead and tell you, when I was the age of some of the teenagers in here, you think I saw myself up here behind the pulpit? I remember remember one of my Sunday school teachers from junior high or high school telling me, I never thought you'd do that. I'm like, me neither. But you never know, in this church, right now, in this sanctuary, in this moment, we may have pastors, missionaries, Christian businessmen and women, people that will tell people about Jesus. Those of you that are younger, you may be the ones that actually usher in the return of Jesus Christ. And all you remember is this big old red-faced, red-headed preacher telling you about it. And that's okay. But my friends, you have been gifted And it says in verse 13 about the gifts, this will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we are mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Folks, let me just say you're not here by accident. God has brought you here with a purpose. And the gifts that God has given you come with a responsibility of using them. I think one of the lines that's overused a lot in and I'm sorry, you know, there's biblical truth, but then there's superhero movies. Y'all like superhero movies? Two of you. I, and I'm probably going to butcher this, so those of you that know the line, just go with me. But there, I think it's one of the Spider-Man movies where Spider-Man's uncle dies, and before he dies, he says, with great power comes 
Yeah, I got no other people that got it. With great power comes great responsibility. My friends, with the gifts that God has given you, God has given you the responsibility to use them. Our gifts complement one another, and as a body of Christ, we'd accomplish infinitely more if we serve God together. I have seen that in this church like nowhere else. If our people get together, there is nothing that we cannot achieve. But what are the excuses people give? The question is not whether God has gifted you, because He has. The question is, have you been obedient in seeking out what that gift is? What are the common excuses? Well, I'm too shy. Well, I'm too busy. Well, preacher, you know I can't do that anymore. I'm too old. Too old for what? I'm sorry, preacher, I'm out of shape. I can't do that anymore. I'm sorry, preacher, I'm mad. Somebody made me mad. I'm not going to come back to that. I ain't going to do that. I'm sorry, pastor, but I went to a church and they hurt my feelings, and I'm not going back to any church or doing anything in church. How's that excuse working out for you? Or, hey, preacher, you know, I'm just not able to do it. Let me ask you this question. Be honest with yourself. You don't have to answer it out loud. You think of the best excuse you have for not using your gifts. And you think, I got you, preacher. I got one you, you can't trump. Then my only response would be, what do you think God thinks of that excuse? Ah, preacher move, right? What do you think God thinks of the excuse? You think you had people show up this church on Sunday, this morning, that didn't feel good? You think you had people showing up at this church to lead you, that didn't have things on their plate? They didn't have something to do, they didn't have something on their mind? Folks, if you wait till you're ready to serve, you'll never serve. You have been gifted. God's church needs those gifts. This church needs those gifts. And then finally, our third point we see, speak the truth in love and be willing to grow. He says in verse 14, Then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever that they sound like truth. Boy, I'm telling you, he is hitting the money on the head. There is philosophies out there, and there are churches surround, that, that are built and thriving And they are built on a doctrine of man comes first. That your needs are to be what's met. That God's one desire is to be a big holy Santa Claus that does nothing but give you what you want on your list. And that is not the God of Scripture. That is not what Jesus did, died for. Being an active member in God's church is your best defense. If you don't want to be taken, and I'm not talking about just this church, I'm not trying to be conceited by saying my preaching, but my friends, if you are in a church that preaches the Bible and encourages you to get in the Bible and gives you tools to be in the Bible and gives you a fellowship of people that are in the Bible, there's some strengthening there. And so being an active member in God's church is your best defense. Now, I'm not saying if you go to church, that means you're a Christian. You still need to be convicted of your sins and confess Jesus Christ. But here's the thing. I know plenty of people I talk to say, well, preacher, I don't need to go to church. Or preacher, I used to go to church, but somebody made me mad and I'm not going back. And I'll tell them, you know, being in church does not make you a Christian. I could go sit inside my car, garage, 
And I, I, I could sit inside my garage and it would not make me a car no matter how long I sat there. You could be in church every time the doors are open. It doesn't make you a Christian. Only Jesus Christ makes you a Christian. And sometimes the truth is hard to tell someone and it's hard to hear. But God's word shows us that when we fall short, his word helps us to get better. Verse 15 says, instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way and more like Christ, who was the head of his body, the church. Speaking the truth in love. I've, I've said this before, and I, and I don't mean to be crass, but it's just a great illustration. As I remember, I was doing a funeral up here. And about that time, I've, I was starting to get into the message. Before it started, a gentleman ran up to the pulpit, and he called me down. So I, I leaned over and looked at him. And I thought he was going to encourage me or pray for me. You know what he said? Examine your zipper, preacher. Yeah, that's spiritual, isn't it? Examine your zipper. So I did what anybody would do. I just turned around, came back, and it was fixed. You know, preacher, y'all not to share that from the pulpit. It happened in church. It was during a service. And here's the thing, is that I appreciate the fact that someone thought enough to come in love and correct me to fix that so that I wouldn't look really bad in front of that family doing their funeral. Oh yeah, you're the preacher, had a slide down. That's not what I want to be known as. But folks, hear me out at my own degradation. Hear me out for a second is that when we see a young brother, a young sister, an old brother, an old sister, in error of what the Bible says, and not acting like they should as a church member, which shows more love? Going to them in love, in Scripture, and sharing with them your concerns, and be willing to say you're not judging, but look, think about this. Or which is more loving, doing that or just letting them continue? There are some people that they have been in churches and they are struggling with things and they never tell anybody and there are people that see it but never go to them and so they end up leaving the church, leaving the faith because people saw that there was a problem and did nothing to help them get through it. Oh, they were very quick to judge them. Oh, you know that? Well, i tell you why they did that. And, you know, we can diagnose what's wrong with somebody, but do we love them enough to help them get out of the hole? Instead, verse 15, we speak truth and love, growing in every way more and more like Christ Jesus. If we truly love one another, we will lovingly correct one another with God's Word. And God's Word is sufficient for that. If you don't believe me, you can go to 2 Timothy 3.16, where it says God's Word is sufficient for all of that. Well, as we end our time together today, Donna knows me well enough to know that when we're driving on a trip, I've got certain um, actions, certain tells that leads her to know I'm getting sleepy. You ever rode with somebody that's a sleepy driver and they refuse to get out of the driver's seat? It's frustrating, isn't it? Well, she sees the signs and then she offers me to drive. 
or she offers to drive for me. She does not do that because she's mean. She does that because she wants to stay alive. You know, you drive down the road, rumble strips. Are you okay? I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. I'm going to tell you, once I start scratching your arm, the hands through the hair, and those kind of things, oh yeah, roll the window down, crank up the radio, everything you can. But sometimes you just, when someone's offering, hey, let me drive for a little while, I don't want to die. But my friends, it's it's one thing to, to be driving and seeing the signs, but my friends, when you see the sign that your brother or sister in Christ is hurting, do you love them enough to be willing to help them? Are you willing to drive for them so that they can take a break? Either in the literal sense or the figurative sense. And here's the thing. When she makes sure that I'm awake, she not only corrects me, but it benefits her. Correcting yourself will help others. Correcting others will help yourself. And then God takes the burden of growth. Check this out in verse 16. The scripture says, He makes the whole body fit together. And Paul often equates the church to the body of Christ. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts to grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. I'm going to go ahead and tell you, if you have a healthy body, but your toe is rotten, it's going to end up killing you. Every piece of the body is important. And yes, God makes the body of Christ fit together. If you were to take all of us together that are here this morning and put us into a room and do a survey of what we have in common, boy, I'd like to see that survey. If we were to be surveyed about what our gifts are and how they are uh, applied in our lives. Some have a gift of this, some have a gift of that. We would be all over the map, but that's the way we need to be, folks. God brings people of different gifted abilities, different spiritual levels, and different makeups just so that we can become stronger as the body of Christ. And it's not us trying to make people come to church. It is God bringing it because it says that He is the one that puts the pieces together. So what does that mean to you and me? God has brought together, he has brought us together to be here for one another. Folks, we do not have to be perfect. We will make mistakes. We are one body. In Christ, we are united in our purpose and in our love for one another and for the Lord. If one of us stumbles, the rest of the body is there to pick that person up. If a person sins, the body is there to help restore them. And my friend, if you're one of those people that like to armchair quarterback everybody's faith, and you want to sit in your pew, literally and figuratively, and you want to sit out and point all the problems with everybody else, this is probably not the church for you. Because when one falls, we surround them. When one rises, we rise with them. When one cries, we cry with them. When one hurts, we all hurt. Because we are the body of Christ. Amen. In Christ, we are united in our purpose and in our love for one another and for the Lord. If a person sins, the body is there to help restore them. My friends, I have had to use what they call church discipline before. I've been a part of that process. 
it's not fun. Where you go to that person and you tell them that there's an error and you try to fix that. And if they don't agree with you, then you bring the church leadership. Then if they can't agree with the church leadership, then there's expulsion. It is, it is awful, but it's biblical. If you don't believe me, look at Matthew 18, 15. But our goal is not to get people out of the church. Our goal is to bring people in and be complete. My friends today, the invitation is this. And I'll ask Donna to go ahead and, and come up here, if you will, for our invitation. Um, Marissa, you can come on up too. God has brought us together to be here for one another. I'm grateful for Homeland Park Baptist Church. And boy, you have no idea how much it thrills all of our hearts to see visitors that are here. And it thrills me even more when I see people using their gifts to grow the church. Not just Homeland Park Baptist Church, but the church as a whole. So our invitation is just simply here today. You're either that person that has been beat up by a church. You have been that person that has been outcast. or You're that person that has fallen out of love with the church. And my friend, if you've fallen out of love with the church, you've got to ask yourself, did I fall out of the love of the church I was going to? Or did I fall out of love with the church that God has established? Some of you need to return and repent. Some of you may need to join. Some of you may need to be baptized. Some of you may just need to know for sure that you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Whatever your need is today, we are going to sing a hymn of invitation. I invite you to come forward. I'll pray with you. If you're watching by video, you can contact me through our page, and I'll talk with you as well. But let's have a time of invitation. Would you please stand?